This is the Intoxicated Podcast. Today, Matt and I, we sat down with Saman Meyer. Saman is going to share her story of addiction, her story of recovery, and her story of reconciliation with her family. This was a really enjoyable episode for Matt and I, so check it out. And thank you so much for listening. Jason, I got to tell you, man, I'm super excited today. We're with my good friend, Saman Meyer. Saman, how long have we known each other? Oh, 15 years, maybe? Probably. Yeah, at least. We have, we've had kids in, in school together and in other activities together for a long time. And um, Saman is, like we are, she's in recovery. And she's coming up on two years. And she's got a really interesting story that I think makes her perfect for the podcast. Well, I'm excited, and thanks for coming on, Saman. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. All right. Why don't we just start with, tell us, give us your background, Saman. Tell us, besides, um, you know, you and I being buds and, and all of that, tell us, tell us about your background, specifically with alcohol, and, and where are you now? Okay. Um, okay, so I grew up in New Zealand. I left, I'll make this super quick edited version. I left there in my early 20s, moved to England. I was always a drinker, a partier, weekends mainly. My sister and I, we were the culprits together for the most part. Um, And then when I moved to England, same thing, you know, it's cold and dreary there in the winter. Everybody hits the pub Thursday night on, nightclubs on the weekend. Uh, So drinking was, has always been from the age of probably 14, 15. A part of my life. Um, I drank my way around England, around Europe, backpacking trips, lots of wine, lots of alcohol. Back then, it just, that's what people did. Yeah. You know, that's what people did. And it wasn't, it didn't stand out to me that it was any different than what everybody else was doing. You probably would have felt weird if you weren't, right? Yeah. Because everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. I ended up in the States in 98 and um, quickly became pregnant. We lived in the Bacon neighborhood, then moved to Wash Park. So at that point, early on, I had three kids, uh, about two years apart each. Stay-at-home mother after the third one was born. Where did you meet Dean, your husband? Was that in England or was that here? That was here. Here in in Denver? In a bar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? I met my wife in a bar, too. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we met in a bar. And um, at that point, I was still heading back to New Zealand. I was just here, like, for a couple of weeks. And I extended my stay, extended my stay, um, found out I was pregnant. We decided that I would stay. We got married. Um, we were married for 20 years. We lived in Wash Park for 10. And... Again, you know, a lot of my good friends are still people that I met through my kids. And the things that we would do, like after school, you know, we would hang on the playground, then we would go home. I would crack open a beer or two while I was like waiting for Dean to come home from work, sit on the porch with my neighbors, you know, the kids would all play outside and we would drink. It got progressively worse. The, you know, it went from beer to wine. 
and through my pregnancies, I was pretty good about it. And at one point, I would have a couple of glasses of wine while I was making dinner, and then I'd just drink tea after dinner. I couldn't tell you when it progressed. Well, I can tell you when. I can't tell you why. Mm. We mm. moved up to Evergreen in 2011, and I had my fourth child. Um, and the older three were in middle school and high school. And again, um, we met parents. Everybody's a drinker. Football games, kids' school activities. As normal as normal can be. As normal, yeah. You got your travel, you got your red solo cup. Yeah. You know, lacrosse all weekend long out at Dick's Country Club, as we would call it. <laughs> and we'd have our beer and our solo, you know, cups. But then, you know, it got to the point where not only did I have that, but I also had wine, you know, in my travel mug that was hidden in my bag because. You know, I wanted to drink as much as everybody else was, but I needed to drink more than that, but I didn't want them to see that. So it became something that was hidden. Um, Dean and I, would we would drank every night. We drank every night. You said it was wine before dinner and then tea after for a while. Did that for eventually while, change? It totally changed. Uh, it, it changed. And Dean and I, you know, we drank together, uh, whether it be... When initially, weekends, we would go out with friends. And then it got to a daily thing. After I had Romy, yeah, it was, a, it was a daily thing. I can't tell you exactly when it got to the point when I was drinking earlier in the day. It happened between 2011 and, what, 2016. Probably in the latter part of that. Definitely in the latter part of that, that I was drinking... You know, wine, wine. Yeah. Yes. From four o'clock, it went to, you know, two o'clock every Friday. Dean and I would go out and have like a date lunch. We'd go to Cactus Jack's, have a couple of beers, and that's how our Friday and our weekend would start. You mm-hmm. know, and um, that was our thing. That's what we did. So it got to the point where we both realized that there was a problem, that we were both drinking too much, and Dean said I mean, we both recognized it dean said okay so we're gonna let's do this we won't drink on mondays i'm like that's a great idea and in the back of my mind i'm thinking oh shit how in the world am i going to do that yeah. at this point i know that i have a bigger problem than he does he has no idea how much i'm drinking he works from home i stay at home um aside from my markets which i was doing like on the weekends we were around each other all the time and to this day, is still flawed at how much I admitted to drinking after, after my my uh, rehab, because yeah, he's like, how did I not see this? How what what I'm curious when I hear your story, how did it get to the point where you guys both said, okay, there's a problem? Because everything you've described so far, pretty normal American, oh, right? Like, was it emotional? Were you just were you fighting depression? Like, what made you say this isn't right? Because everything sounds like what most, most what a lot of people do. Maybe yeah. not most, but a lot of people. Yeah. Um, Dean Dean has a very good resolve when it comes to making up his mind, and and when he makes up his mind, he does it. Like quitting smoking. Made up my mind. This is the day done. So he was the main leader. He was the leader on this. He. It was his idea. I mean, I clearly knew I had a, program, a problem. And he's like, yeah, we should cut back. So it was he was the leader of it. And I was like, that's a great idea. But inside, I'm thinking, how in God's name do I do this? 
I had already gotten to the point where I was waking up shaking. So I was having to drink as soon as I woke up in the morning. It, did, did he know about that? Just curious. No, he okay. did not know how early I would start drinking. Mm-hmm. He had no idea. In fact, I would, at the end there, I would drink that first glass of wine and sit on the side of the bath, throw it up because my body rejected the whole thing, and then have to sit back down and sip on the second one to actually get myself to a point where I could go downstairs and deal with the day. Mm. So as he's thinking, at this point I'm physically addicted, he is not. Mm. It is an addiction for sure. His body is is not does not need it to function yeah. throughout the day. It was a mental thing sure. for him more than it was for me. I mean, it was both for me. Um, but in the end, once that physical addiction had that the detox, once I'd gotten through that, then I was willing to do whatever it took to mm. get myself back on track again. Yeah. I just needed to get past that first part that I had no idea how to do by myself. Yeah. So all of us who um, at, at one point when we're in addiction, um, we come up with a s- different sets of rules. I know I had lots of different sets of rules and I changed them frequently oh, and I, yeah. I would do okay for a while and then I would break my rules. How did that Monday thing go when you, mm. when you first oh. said, let's not drink on Monday? Right. So Dean would ask me through the day, how are you doing? I'm like, well, it's really tough, but I'm, I'm doing okay. And that was a bald face lie. I mean, I've been drinking all day. Okay. I've been so trying you- to minimize it so I didn't appear drunk. But I physically needed it. Okay. And I don't think he realized that at this point. Um, we did the same thing. Let's switch from red wine to white wine. Let's, you know, let's moderate. Let's oh, try and glass control of water in between. this. Yeah. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, it didn't work for me. It might work for some people, but I am a true alcoholic and it did not work for me. And then you get embroiled in the guilt and the shame and the, you know, shit, I'll have to try tomorrow because today's mm. already like in the bag. I'm already drunk at this point. Mm-hmm. So you said it surprised Dean when he found out how much when you went through rehab and you actually talked about it, but he knew there was a problem. Yes. You knew there was a problem. Yes. Talk about, how about friends and family? How well were you, were you hiding it from others? I had a lot of people tell me afterwards that they were surprised that they had no idea uh, I had one woman, a good friend of mine, tell me that she had her suspicions. She could smell it on me. And she also had the mindset, you know, her husband is an AA. He's a recovering alcoholic. Oh, so, so she, she had that for. experience too. Um, but for the most part, nobody knew. Nobody knew. Um, yeah, I functioned pretty well until I didn't anymore. And... And that's when it became a toll on my family. I was driving drunk continuously. Mm. I mean, I had to have been because I had to start drinking early in the morning. I forgot to pick up. I didn't forget to pick up my daughter from school. I was like passed out because I knew how I had to sleep it off mm. before I had to go get her. Mm. And I would, you know, sleep through the alarm that I'd set for myself and get a call from the school. Um, so it was clearly at this point, it was having a, a, a negative effect on my family, but still I was at that place where I'm like, I don't know how to stop. Mm. I don't know how to do this. Yeah. And asking for help is just like admitting you have a problem. Yeah, for sure. Well, obviously a lot of that shame too. Yes. You're saying. Yep. I'm just curious when you and your husband drank together, would you guys get along 
would you guys fight? We we had a really good relationship. Mm. Um, we barely ever argued. When we did, it was huge though. It was big. Mm-hmm. And I learned early on that when there was a big argument, I could never, I never came out on top. I never came out on top. It would be two days of not being spoken to. It would be two days of trying, wondering what I could do to like have him talk to me again. And that got better as the years went by. It went from like a two days of not talking to one day to just, you know, a full on blow up argument and the shit hits the fan and then it's done. So it's, it's, um, learning to communicate mm-hmm. in a relationship. Clearly alcohol does not help any situation at all, especially a volatile one. So I just, you know, sucked it up. This is how it is. And then drank some more. And that drink was in a way to tolerate the misery yeah. of not having a voice, I guess. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. I'll say this before I've said it before and I'll say it again. I lost my voice in that relationship mm. through the years. And yes, alcohol is a way to numb the pain of realizing that you're not standing up for yourself. Numb the pain of realizing that, you know, yeah, here I am, this strong, independent woman, and I can't, I can't live in this marriage and have my voice heard, and it's pretty damn miserable. So yeah, numbing the pain, just blowing it off, you know, letting it go. We're really, you know, it's not really letting it go if you don't deal with it. It sits in there and it festers. So then, while so then, while you were both actively drinking, you'd have rare, but when they were when they happened, big blow up arguments. Yep. The two days of silence, which sounds so familiar. To me. <laughs> <laughs> I like, have no idea in, what you're talking in about. Way, yeah, in ways you're sitting over there telling my story, <laughs> um, and then, um, but then thing, then you'd pull it back together, yeah. and you guys would move on and. And Friday would come, and you have your Friday lunch at Cactus Joe's or Jack. Cactus, Cactus Jack's. Jack's. Sorry, everybody knows Cactus Jack's. Didn't get knowing Cactus Jack's, I guess. <laughs> but so then, like, like yeah. we'd move on. We'd move on. You'd push down the yeah. the stuff that felt bad. Yeah. And never address it, and just keep going. That's it. So, what brought you to the point when you? I mean, I understand what you're saying when you say you couldn't figure out a way out, couldn't figure out how to ask for mm-hmm. help. What was the tipping point? Where did you go when you did? Okay, so tipping point. So it was it was the shittiest time would have been between November of 2016 and when I went to rehab in February of 2017. Dean was getting constant demands from my oldest daughter that something had to be done about me. I'd ruined two of her birthdays with alcohol. Um, I, because you weren't available or no the first time was horrific I took them her and her friends downtown from Evergreen to go out to dinner <clears throat> and it's so weird when you're drinking um, blackouts are a real thing and you can still be fully functional I'm sure as you two know as uh, when you were in one and I never knew if it was going to be the first drink that did it or whether it was going to be the 15th drink that did mm-hmm. it so I was fine. I took them all down the hill. I had been drinking all day, but I was I was okay. I had a glass of wine at the bar, and it was a shit show after dinner. And I've had to be. I don't remember a lot of it. I and even though I was fully functioning and driving, I was told a lot of it. I, amongst other things, prior to driving home, I t- I went through a red light. 
caught myself halfway into the red light and backed up, but that was enough to scare the shit out of the girls in the car. And I'm like, it's fine, it's fine, it's okay, we're good, we're good. And then I took a really wide turn on the highway and almost hit a lamppost. Mm. And that was when Riley, who just had her permit at this point, no license, just a permit, she had the wherewithal to get me out of the car and put me in the passenger seat and she drove us home. Mm. So, but again, this was back, this was... February probably of 2016 so through that year of 2016 Dean and I had a pretty good year after that big shit show you know Riley's still on the rocks and mad as hell at me rightfully so I was a danger and by the grace of God you know nothing happened that Mm -hmm. night but it didn't waken me up to the fact that this was a serious problem until the end of the year and she's really pushing and she's pushing that something needs to be done and she needs to leave you know dad she's got to get help she's got to leave and it was just a lot of anger and resentment on their end and then a lot of anger and resentment on my end because I didn't know how to fix this and it's just a horrible circle it's a horrible circle so they have to deal with me and and I'm a shit show. And it got worse at the end of the year. Did your kids have any concerns about Dean's drinking at this point? No. Okay. Not that I know of. Because Dean did not behave the way I did when he drank. Sure. He was pretty responsible. If he had to pick up the kids, he wouldn't drink so much. Or he wouldn't drink until after he got them. Mm-hmm. He was able to still fulfill his responsibilities. And I couldn't. And I don't know. I mean, that's that's all in the brain right yeah. there, if you ask me. That's that's where that's all at. And he still doesn't understand why he didn't behave the way I did and why I did behave. He doesn't understand. He believes a lot of what I did was malicious, on purpose, with intent to destroy the family. Hmm. So... Um, there was a threat I received from... You know, we there was a, like a... As family, we had family sit-downs all the time where I felt like I was just being, you know, I'm the bad child. We're going to, like, tell you what your problem is and you, this is what you're going to do to remedy it. We had a lot of those. And was the remedy to cut down or was the remedy to get out? Cut down, stop, and if that doesn't happen, you're out. And I do, you know, the thing that really sticks with me is you have two weeks to stop drinking, get a job, or you're out of the house. And that was a real threat to me. Whether or not it was meant that way, to me in my mind, that's how it went down. And I was concerned that I was gonna be kicked out of the house with nothing. And that's when it got really bad, really bad. And there were discussions of going to rehab. I did start going to AA meetings. I would roll in there loaded, so drunk. And those people, bless their hearts, took me in, and they listened to me. And looking back, they're like, Simon, you were so obnoxious. You were so loud. You were so obnoxious. We really worried about you. We really worried about you. And it's funny, living up in the mountains, I walk into my first AA meeting, and there's three people in there I know. Hmm. You know, and they're all people that I met through my children. (laughs) It's just... But you didn't know they were... I had no idea. No idea that they were recovering. No clue. So I got some gentle nudges to, you know, people had gone to Harmony and Estes Park. Mm. And 
you know, good things, nothing but good things that, you know, were told about that place. And Dean and I had discussed it and I kept fighting it saying, you know, I can do this. I can do this. Give me another week. I can do this by myself. I didn't want to leave my home. I didn't want to leave my youngest child. She was four or five at the time and I didn't want to leave her, you know. I felt like that the world was going to like stop if I was gone for 30 days. Yeah. You know, how do you remove yourself from society for 30 days and everything just goes on without you? I couldn't figure that one out. And then the week before rehab, I couldn't tell you what it was. Looking back, I see it as a sign from my higher power, a push. I Dean was out of town that week and my car keys had been taken away. The kids were basically in charge of me at this point. And I was a shit show. I'd just given up completely at this point. I'm like, fine, you guys run this house how you want to and I'm just gonna get drunk. And I called um, Harmony, I don't even remember the conversation at all, but they said that they would take me and so I booked um, my intake on the following Saturday and Dean was due home on the Friday. Is Harmony a, a- is the intake that you're talking about a 30-day program? Yes. Okay. It's a 30-day residential treatment program in Estes Park. They do have a continuing care where you can stay on. Okay. And that's more like a sober living. You get you can get your car if you need it. You can get your phone. Oh, okay. You can get a job. You know, all that stuff. But you're still coming back there at night. And that's your home base. But so you booked this while Dean was out? out I did. Okay. And I told him, I'm like, I booked it, I'm going. And, and, you know, he said he was thrilled. He was thrilled. And he was so excited to be able to take me there on Saturday. And something in my body, something in my mind told me that I needed to get out before then. And I was packing my bags and ready to go on the Friday. And he was flying in Friday night. And he threatened me and said that if I left before he got home, it would be divorce immediately. So a friend of mine from AA, who I knew through my child, she stayed at the house until she knew that Dean was close. And because one one last time I submitted to, you know, his rule and said, okay, fine, I will stay until you get home. So I did, and it was kind of, it was pointless. There was a massive argument. Uh, He was highly annoyed by the fact that I didn't want to stay there one more night with him. And I just felt a need to get out that day. So um, I did, I did. And his last words to me were not nice. And um, I took an Uber to Estes Park (laughs) (laughs) with my dog. (laughs) I took my dog to rehab. But that was the most freeing, Mm. that was so freeing, that drive, knowing that I, and looking back, I think that he wanted to be the one to save me, you know, he wanted to be the one to carry that torch to say, I took my wife to rehab and that's where she got better. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a lot of what he was pissed off about. I think a lot of it was ego. I could be wrong, but I see that. Um, And I was just, for the first time in my life, in a long time, I was doing something for myself, mm. by myself, that was going to make me a brand new person and get me well. And that drive was amazing. It was phenomenal. I don't remember a lot of it. I was drunk. I had the Uber driver stop at a liquor store on the way. <laughs> and um, because I wasn't supposed to intake until the Saturday, 
I stayed at the Stanley Hotel on Friday night. Uh-huh. And I stayed there and I drank until I passed out. And then I woke up and I drank again and I took a taxi and I left the last of my wine in that taxi. And that was the last time I ever had a drink. Oh, wow. I think they, I don't know why this interests me, but staying at the Stanley, which is (laughs) for our many millions of uh, uh, listeners listeners. around the world um, (laughs) that aren't from Colorado, it's, that's the... Hotel from the movie The Shining. Yeah. yeah. Dean and Supposedly I stayed there. haunted. I've stayed there once. Dean and I stayed there on our one-year anniversary. But it's, um, this, it's this tourist, yeah. like, kind of fancy. It's kind of run down, really. But yeah. it's this, this, like, what did they think when you pulled up with your dog and your box of wine? And This like, is the, I, I don't remember a whole lot. I do remember that my dog, who hated being at cars at this point... She was so excited to get out. So I've got a hold of the leash. She jumps out of the car, races up the stairs, drags me behind her, and I whack my head on the steps, the concrete steps going up to the Stanley. And the Uber driver, he's like, oh, my goodness, are you okay? And I'm like, dude, I'm fine. This is nothing. I fall down all the time. (laughs) But I don't, I have no idea. I can't even imagine. I do know that they were kind to me. Um, I know I had to take my dog out before to go to the bathroom before I eventually passed out. And... I don't remember any altercations with anybody in going, coming, back in. Um, so, yeah, they, they tolerated me for that night. They probably put you in the most haunted room, but it was totally lost on <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, I know. Out. Oh, yeah. Spirits flying over your <laughs> yeah. head. Jack Nicholson swinging an axe. <laughs> yeah. You know, totally. No idea. No idea. Well, I'm, I'm curious on you showing up to Harmony intoxicated. Yes. Okay. Happens a lot. Okay. And you know what? Believe it or not, it was probably the best thing that I could have done Mm -hmm. because it proved to my insurance company, God Uh, forbid, that I actually needed to be there. (laughs) So when everybody else were receiving, like, you know, calls from insurance, calls from the insurance guy saying your insurance isn't covering you anymore after six days, after two weeks (laughs) of being in rehab, your insurance won't cover you anymore. I was able to make it... And I didn't get the call until three days before um, the weekend I was supposed to continue. And then I was supposed to leave the following Monday. So I was about six days short. And I told them I would self-pay until the Saturday when I continued. And then I would leave after the, the, the continuation ceremony. And unbeknownst to me, the doctor there, uh, who was amazing... He went to bat for me with my insurance company and he got those three days covered. Mm. And what's really amazing to me is that at this point I was on the fence of whether or not to go to sober living or whether to go home. I wasn't welcome back home, but I wanted to go home because I wanted to see my daughter. I wanted, it's my home. I wanted Mm -hmm. to go back home. But that right there was a clear shot from my God that sober living was the way to go because those three days were $800 a day. And sober living cost $800 a month for three months. So that right there was my, all right, here's your decision. It's a clear choice in my, in my books. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did after rehab. Mm-hmm. So Dean had 30 days to cool down from the point when um, he was angry that you wouldn't spend the one last night and he could drive you the next day. Yes. So uh, I, think a lo- I think one of the most interesting parts of your story a lot of people think, people that are either still in addiction or that have never experienced addiction, think, oh, you quit drinking and then everything gets rosy. Like, that fixes everything. So, 
he had 30 days to cool down. You had 30 days of treatment and work on yourself and recovery. Wasn't the relationship perfect after that? Rosie. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. Not in any way, shape, or form. So what happened no. next, relationship-wise? So he, he came up to Harmony um, one weekend, uh, and he brought my oldest son, and I toured him around... And the first thing he did was he pointed to the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which was on the wall in one of the rooms. He's like, steps eight and nine, that's what I'm looking for. So that's when you made a list of people that you have harmed and made steps to make amends. So anybody in the program knows that these steps take time and you just don't jump around them. There's a reason. So on day, I don't know, I've been there in less than two weeks, and he's already wanting his amends. That's all, like, resentment, right? Yes. Like, you guys are yeah. therapy trained. I'm not, but that's what that is, right? Yes. I And, you know, and a lot of it, rightfully so, I did a lot of harm in that family. I, you know, there was a lot of damage that needed to be repaired, and I was there to start my work on that, but... Um, Alcoholism is a family disease. Sure. You know that. It affects every single person in that family. And there was harm done to everybody, including harm to myself. And um, there was a lot of bitterness and resentment on Dean's part. There still is. And he realizes that, and he knows it's something that he needs to work through. And he told me recently that he hopes one day he can work through that. And I really have no doubt that at some point in our lives we'll be pretty good friends. We spent 20 years together. Our divorce was final um, November 20th. Mm. We did try, you know, after rehab. We tried. And and he told me that it took everything in his being to come and see me in rehab after all the damage I had done. Everything in his being and how hard that was for him to do that. Where I would see people with family members come all the time and they were super happy and you know grateful that their loved one was there getting help and all I had was like hatred and animosity emanating from this man. Um, so it is a family disease and everybody needs to get help for it. Whether you choose to get help for it or not is each individual's, you know, that's, that's up to them to decide whether they want to do that or not. In my mind, it's key. Uh, when we were in the court at the trial, unfortunately, our divorce went to trial. And yeah, Dean said, all the kids are in a really good place now that I've left the house. And my lawyer argued that they're in a better place because alcohol has left the house. And so, so fill in that gap for us. So you went to rehab. I did, yeah. What about Dean's drinking? Dean stopped a month before I did. Okay. So he has a month on me. And it was still beyond him that he could just stop. And I couldn't. You know, what was wrong with me? Why, why did I behave so differently when alcohol was put in my body than he did? You know, why did I lose any sense of my responsibilities and he didn't? Um, sure, there were times where, you know, he did, but for the most part, you know, he was responsible. And sure, yeah, he may have drunk too much on occasion, but the way alcohol affected each of us was completely different. So th- this, there's so much of this that resonates with my relationship 
And my wife wasn't a big drinker. She was in college, but as she watched me ramp it up, it started to sicken her. Yeah. So she she couldn't even drink socially hardly at all because she was so disgusted with me. So that's a difference. But w- when when I got sober, that that resentment was still there. Actually, kind of from both of us. I guess what what I'm trying to ask is, is, is that barrier? And I'm not here to Dean bash at all, but his like inability to understand that it affected you differently than it affected him, because that was a big problem for Sherry mm-hmm. and I. Um, she didn't understand why I would drink the way I, would, I did. She didn't understand why I needed it so much. She didn't understand the euphoria that I felt for her. It made her a little bit giddy and a little bit sick to her stomach, and she had no interest. So when she would think of her relationship with alcohol and then compare it to mine, it, that caused a lot of problems, even when I quit. Yeah, that that was the stuff we had to work through. It sounds like Dean wasn't able to get past. This is how it affects me. Why does it affect you differently? Sure, lots of damage done, but the repair couldn't start because. Right. Is that where where the relationship got stuck? Am I describing yeah. that right? Yes. You know, and each person deals with deals with the stuff differently. But yes, there was an inability to get past that. Why. You know, he's he's always looking for an answer to his questions, always. And if I could not answer them to his satisfaction, he would keep asking the question. And it was, yeah, it's the therapist, we saw a therapist uh, a couple of times, two, three times. And yeah, he's just, he's just stuck. He's the very resolute in his, in his opinions and his actions. Like I said, you know, he stopped drinking. Once he decided to stop drinking, that was it. He was done. Was it easy? No. But he was damn certain it was not gonna he was not going to fail at that and he wasn't going to drink again. And so he couldn't understand why it was so different for me. And he still, I think to this day, does not understand that. I mean, there's so much information out there about how it affects people differently and and how people's brains are different and why are some people alcoholics and addicts and some people aren't there's so much out there um but he still is stuck on the why why he's he can't get past that and Mm. i think in his mind he truly believed there was something that happened that caused me to behave this way that there was one thing in our relationship that happened that caused me to he believes maliciously with intent destroy him and the family where all it boils down to is alcoholism you were just out of control i was completely out of control and he mm-hmm. is still looking for something else do you, jason in your in your therapy in your couple's therapy practice do you find this barrier of resentment can be so big mm-hmm. that it's kind of insurmountable because is that a thing yeah I mean, the, I mean that's a huge question right there as Simone was was sharing it, you know, what comes up for me was that a lack of empathy, but almost like as if he has taken it personally, you're drinking, which is not the case at all. So, you know, I mean, like, that's that's what come up to me. Like, uh, it's the lack of empathy. I don't know a different way to, to, to put it. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of resentment. There's also another way of looking at it. If 
there's this idea of thirds in a relationship. So if one partner is turning towards the third more than their partner, be it alcohol, be it work, be it gambling, be it porn, is that that partner is going to resent whatever their partner is turning towards. So sometimes there's that too, the partner resents the alcohol, maybe like Sherry does, is that she sees what it does to you. There's also that they feel demoted to the third. So there's that as well. So there's all these dynamics, but I wonder in this case, it just seems like a, yeah, like you said, there's a block mm-hmm. to the, block. The, the empathy. Mm-hmm. The, the third, the, when you talked about the third, that reminds me of one of my all-time favorite movies, When a Man Loved a Woman, okay. When a Man Loves a Woman. And the, the female, have you seen it? Mm-hmm. A long time ago. So the, it's a, the female lead is Meg Ryan, and she progressively gets worse and worse and worse with her drinking and eventually goes to rehab and quits. And her husband's role had become to fix the problems when she drank. Mm-hmm. And when she stopped drinking, that role vanished for him. There was nothing to, I mean, there was still lots of work for her to do, but mm. him picking up the pieces and fixing it went away. Mm. And that movie does not have a happy ending. They, mm. It doesn't say whether they divorced or not, but um, it's just not, it's just fascinating to me yeah. that you think when you take the thing out of the relationship that caused all the problems in the relationship, yeah. the relationship should yeah. be magically fixed, and it's and, so far from the truth. And it's all it's all different on depending on the dynamics in the relationship too. You know, um, some people's relationship will end up in divorce, like-minded, um, and I do not for one second regret anything that I've gone through. Anything at all. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. I will keep it all because I've grown so much through it. But some people, they do. They have a, a spouse that will come in with, you know, lots of like, I'm amazed. Thank you for doing this, you know. And then they'll put in the work too and and they will rebuild and move forth. And... You know, there are some that, you know, do have a difficult time, but manage, you know, like you said, dip down, but then, you know, manage to come back up. But everybody's going to be on the same page, I believe, and there has to be a group effort towards mm-hmm. recovering. I like that, the group effort, effort because there is going to be a big change to the system. It sounds yeah. like the movie you're talking about, the guy was used to being the codependent mm-hmm. role that was his identity he was used to that but now sobriety comes along and the whole relationship the whole family dances Mm -hmm. are different and especially you were saying being a strong independent woman you getting sober again you reclaiming your voice Mm -hmm. now the dynamic has completely changed completely yep well I think that's absolutely right I think Part of the problem goes back to the stigma that's associated with addiction in that the person that's afflicted, the alcoholic, has done something. When you talk about it's a family disease, the alcoholic Mm -hmm. has done something to the family. I would love to live in a world someday, I don't know if it'll happen in our lifetime, when we look at the afflicted as the victim too. Alcoholism is, whether you Mm -hmm. call it, I call it a disease, whether you call it a disease or not, it has the characteristics of a disease. Mm It affects the whole family, absolutely right, but 
the person that's drinking doesn't want to be drinking. Right. Yeah. The person that's wrecking the family doesn't want to be wrecking the family. They, they're, they're going through a, a different set of circumstances, but equally traumatic and awful and out of their control circumstances. Mm-hmm. So if we, as a society, here's my dream that'll, you know, <laughs> maybe someday it'll happen. I don't know. But if we as a society can look at that whole family unit and say they're all in this hell and they're all going through this awful thing and the drinker is just one of the components yeah. that it's they're not to blame mm-hmm. and i know we say um that it's not your fault but it is your responsibility i don't know in my mind it's it's bigger it's this it's society's responsibility it's our culture's responsibility it's if you if you grew up running around to the pubs in England mm-hmm. and then you drank beer on your porch at home <laughs> and then oh my god you got addicted to this highly addictive substance how is that your fault exactly <laughs> I don't understand that yeah. so yeah there's huge collateral damage that's yeah. got to be repaired but if we'd stop and I'm again I'm not dean bashing because this is what we all this is what our society does if we take the person that's the drinker and we say you've got to go around and make a list of everyone to apologize to and then go apologize to them and I want that done first yeah we're not recognizing that they're the victim too yeah this might just sound like I'm whining because I am an alcoholic but I, I, I totally see that I see that and yeah we we do I caused a ton of damage and yes um, but you know, if you want me to get well, this is the way I'm going to do it. This is my program that I'm going to follow. And when I get to steps eight and nine, that's when I will do that part. And that, that was a huge issue too. So I don't know, like I said, everybody's different. Um, some people are fully supportive. Um, and I know Dean is, and he has told me he's like amazed by my recovery mm-hmm. and he, Great. he's, um, you know, he thinks it's great that this program is doing wonders for me, which it has. Um, but it's not for him. It is not for him. And so, therefore, why does he have to abide by when I make my amends? You know, he wants them now. My program says this is when it's going to be done. So that's another whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's so difficult when lives get damaged and hearts get hurt and... But yeah, I mean, I, nothing malicious, no, you know, intentional, you know, personality destruction was, that wasn't the object. You know, I did what I did because I was an alcoholic and I don't remember half the stuff I did what I did. And who knows why we behave the way we do, you know, why we get into cars, why some people get into fights, why people steal. And, you know, it is the addiction talking Mm -hmm. well I'm I'm curious too so you get back from rehab and kind of what you're getting at Matt okay everything should be peachy peachy cream or peachy keen (laughs) peachy keen not peaches and cream okay I'm editing this part out so 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 it should be good but it wasn't it wasn't. Can you talk more about that if you feel... Yeah, I mean, I, I did. I went home um, because I wanted to see my youngest. Mainly, I wanted to spend some time with her. I, I had decided that I would move on to sober living, which I wasn't thrilled about. I mean, who wants to live in a house with 10 other, like, alcoholics mm-hmm. and or addicts? And, you know, but um, so I did. I went home and I was not welcome there. And after the first night... 
uh, that was clear as day. I was not welcome mm. there at all. By Dean mm. and the older kids? Yes. Okay. Mm. Um, and I did go to Sober Living one day to view it. And I came back and, and Dean said to me, so how was it? And I said, it was good. Yeah, I'll move in. He's like, are you going today? Mm. And uh, I think this was maybe a Monday or a Tuesday. And I said, no, I'm going on Thursday. He's like, why aren't you going today? And I said, I'd like to take a couple of nights. I've got to pack some stuff up. He's like, what do you need packed? I'll pack it. Mm. Yeah, so I, I was, yeah, I was, I was not wanted. Mm. Um, exactly what I thought was going to happen in leaving the house, that I would not be welcomed back, that, that I, I was mm. going to be kicked out and gone, and that was that. What I was most afraid of that took me so long to get out of that house happened. Um, so I did. I went to Sober Living. Mm. I stayed there for three months. And while it's not ideal, I wouldn't change that either. I mean, surrounding yourself and trying to get back into society, not drinking when you've been drinking your entire life, basically, is a whole new concept. So to be able to help other people out in the house with their struggles and get back on my feet with a job, you know, there are requirements, AA meeting every day, a job or school or some service commitment. So yeah, I, I stayed for three months and I've, I've got solid friendships from that time. Um, people that are doing amazingly well, there of course are people that have relapsed and people that have died. And unfortunately, this is going to be my life. I know that living as, you know, a, a person in recovery this is going to be my life now. So after three months there, I went to live with a friend who I met at rehab back in February. And I stayed with her up until just a couple of months ago, probably a year and a half. Yeah, so I surrounded, I've surrounded myself with sober people. And that coupled with um, meetings and a sponsor and now sponsees of my own and following my program I know it's not for everybody but it's working pretty darn good for me yeah I will have two years next month yeah congrats Yay. that's yeah, awesome that's great. Yeah. so you realized that basically you weren't welcome at home I was not so you said okay it's time to take stock I'm full on I'm gonna live this life I'm gonna be sober yeah. I'm gonna live in recovery and it yeah. seems like you own it and you're proud of it. Yes. And in a way, it's your identity and you found your life mission. Yeah. That's Indeed. Awesome. It, you know, yeah, it is. And pretty quick out of the gate, I did find a job. I started my addiction counseling classes from my CAC 1 probably a couple of months into sober living. And yeah, you know, I want to be there. I want people to understand that they're not alone. I want people to understand that this is a disease. We do not choose this for ourselves. Um, and there is a way out. There is a way out. And life can be beautiful and amazing again. And for me today, life is beautiful and amazing, even with, you know, the divorce, even with, you know, you know, we tried. We tried for a quite a long time to get this thing back on track and see. And, you know, it's a lot of work. And anything that has almost 20 years of marriage, I mean, it's worth mm -hmm. the work. It really mm -hmm. is until we both realized that it was just too broken to fix. Mm. Um, but again, I mean, I wouldn't change anything. I'm such a stronger person. My program is amazing. My sponsor is amazing. Speaking of beautiful and amazing, I think is what you said a minute ago, 
uh, I see lots of pictures of Romy <laughs> hanging out with you yeah. uh, on social media, and she's just darling. And Thank you. T t tell me, and I know that that bond is just tight, and that's wonderful. Mm. We, we've talked a lot about your marriage. Yeah. How has the relationship with your older children Kids. changed? What's, go what's going on there in the two years? Okay, so that has gone up and down. Clearly, obviously, tons of damage, especially to my oldest daughter. She's the one that, that got the brunt of it for whatever reason. Um, she was the hardest um, to repair, and it's still not repaired. My oldest went to college. He's in his second year now, so he's out of the house. And things were, you know, I would come home on weekends when I was in sober living. I would come home on weekends. I would stay a night. Um, I would, I was always back up there as often as I could. The older three, as the divorce wore on, in fact, earlier this year, my oldest daughter had senior pictures. And it got to the point where things were repaired enough that I was able to facilitate that for her, to spend the day with her, to get her senior pictures done. She had requested, you know, that we go out for brunch. And this was the girl that looked me square in the eyes and said, I hate you. So, you know, I take each of it day by day and I take every little thing that is given to me as a blessing, yeah. but not a guarantee. And um, my oldest son, things there were doing really well. Unfortunately, through the divorce, a lot was shared with the two older kids that, in my opinion, should not have been shared. It's a biased, one-sided view of everything and not always correct. Um, so it got to the point where the two oldest were not speaking to me again at all, not returning phone calls, not returning mm. texts. Mm. My oldest went back to college in April, oh, sorry, April, mm. August. We went back to college last August, and I did not lay eyes on him or see him until the morning of Thanksgiving when I took Romy home. That has come around a little bit again over Christmas. I, I live each day, and I pray that, and I know that one day, you know, it will all come around. It will. It's really difficult to walk through that as a mother. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, Mason turned 20. Well, and I would commend you, too, because even amongst all this, you have stayed sober. Yeah. You have worked your program. And that's the best thing you can do for your kids in the long run. You know, the guy who did Pleasure Unwoven, yeah. he has a yes. quote in there, <laughs> is that you also pass down your recovery right. as well. Except that takes more time, obviously. Right. But that is what you're working towards, and you are embodied and it's it's awesome to for me to witness thank you you know what it is it's amazing it's a lot of hard work there's a lot of pain clearly um but i've learned that without facing this head-on hmm. and walking through the pain and walking through it as opposed to drowning it with alcohol or drugs whatever your DOC is. It's so difficult to walk through it, but I come out stronger each time and look back and say, okay, I see the point in that now. There was a reason for that. And that is a beautiful thing. And I know given time, my kids will come around. I just need to keep doing the, the next right thing, staying sober a day at a time, 
for me it's working my program helping others i'm really just kind of in awe of the patience that you have to exhibit <laughs> i'm serious because it's, yeah you're, you're, everything you're saying is right i believe in my heart everything you're saying that there there's no question that they're going to come around as they right. become adults and they face adversity of their own whether god let's hope it's not addiction but everyone faces ad- adversity right yeah and they're going to see that you did your best and you turned it around and they're going to come back to you but the patience that you have to exhibit to to wait for that and just be there with open arms yeah it's difficult it is difficult but again um and like i say you know it's not for everyone but it's worked for me you know the fellowship of alcoholics anonymous has been huge in my recovery harmony where i went was a 12-step based and that's where i got my foundation forever be grateful for the foundation i got there but it's the solid work that i've done through these steps and finding myself and and letting go of control i can't control Mm. There's so much I can't control, you know, and to worry about that stuff is just to, you know, start going back down that spiral again, and that's not a place that I want to go ever again. So I work my ass off, and um, yeah, it benefits. There are benefits. It's amazing. It is beautiful. Um, But patience, yeah, it's hard at times. It really is. But I just have to stay above that. Well, but you're so strong, and you're so healthy now. And I count me in the long list of your friends that didn't know this was happening to you. <laughs> you didn't know it was happening to me. Either. Right, I know. Um, yep. Now, in all honesty, when you moved to Estes, you and I saw each other rarely. You know, Evergreen. Maybe one. Yeah, sorry, Evergreen. Pardon. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like we were close friends at that point. Right. But I had no idea. You had no idea. But no idea. But. but you look great. You sound great. You're strong. Thank you're you. resilient. You're doing all the right things. I, I really, one of the things I've enjoyed the most, Jason, about this um, podcast that we've done, this particular episode, is I am not an AA guy. I didn't go through AA. I have concerns about AA. I've written about that, yeah. and, and I've talked about it. But I, I have always believed that it does work for, there's a segment of the population that it works for, and it works great. And I honor that and respect that, and, right. and I love having spent this time with you to see just a shining example of how wonderful the program can be. Yeah. Um, so I just can't thank you enough for coming on and being so open and honest. It's my pleasure. Yeah, no, my and thank pleasure. you. And, and Matt, to echo what you were saying too, the awesome thing about doing this podcast is that we get to connect with awesome people because that is how people connect by sharing their story by sharing their emotions, their struggles. And I'm not going to, this is going to sound cheesy, but I'm not going to apologize for it. It's because I feel more connected to you and mm-hmm. I just met you. Right. And that's the awesome thing about sharing your story to people who are supportive and appropriate. So I want to thank you for that. And, you know, as you were sharing your what you're doing now in regards to recovery, what came to mind was, character building right Mm -hmm. going through the crap facing the crap head-on that's how we build character and that's how we ultimately become a better person yeah so kudos to you this has been awesome thank you so much yes my pleasure and so i guess the big takeaway is a couple of things that one of the big takeaways is as we all know 
when you get alcohol out of a family that's dealing with alcoholism, that doesn't fix anything. There's a lot of hard work and got to roll up our sleeves and get in there. And uh, it doesn't always have a happy ending, but it's worth the fight. It's worth the work. It's worth the effort. And then the other takeaway is that uh, I've got a new nickname for Jason over here. I'm going to call you Peaches and Cream from now on. <laughs> Peaches and Cream, that works. I guess PC. I... PC. PC. I can't edit now that part now. Now you can't edit it out. <laughs> I did that on purpose. Damn. All right, well, that's not too bad of a nickname. Yeah. I've heard worse. I'm sure, I'm sure you have worse. <laughs> All right, Simon. thanks so much. Simon Meyer, our guest today on the Intoxicated Podcast, for my partner and... Peaches and Cream buddy Jason Polk and I am Matt Salis signing off. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.